Well, good morning. We're in Mark today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8, 21 verses today. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to follow along, jump on in there. You can go to the summitstl.info and find all the information about the sermon and what we talked about today there as well. What I want you guys to listen for as I read this today is all the references to bread. Jesus feeds 4,000. It's a second miraculous feeding in the book of Mark. And then he offers a pretty strong and dire warning about it. So pay attention closely for the language here around bread and leaven and things like that. Mark chapter 8 verse 1. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered... And they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. Some of them have come from far away. The disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And he immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanthia. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them got into the boat, went to the other side. Now they, the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not understand? Let's pray. Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On January 28, 1986, NASA launched the Challenger Space Shuttle, carrying seven crew members in a televised event. And 73 seconds after the launch, the Challenger burst into flames. 
on the day of the launch, frigid temperatures in Florida caused engineers to express concerns and warnings around a small gasket called an O-ring. Engineers found that in cold weather conditions, a small rubber material become brittle and did not seal and could trigger a huge explosion of the hydrogen fuel tank located right next to the boosters. Seemingly small piece, a warning ignored, and the result was devastating. On April 15, 1912, the Titanic sank in the North Atlantic Ocean after striking an iceberg. There were 2,224 passengers and crew aboard, and more than 1,500 people died. The Titanic, in the week leading up to its voyage, had received multiple, if not many, warnings about ice in the area, including from other ships that very day. But likely due to the pressure of the White Star Line chairman who was pushing for a record trip across the sea, the warnings were ignored. So at around 11.40 p.m., the lookout, Frederick Fleet, spotted an iceberg, alerted the bridge, and it was too late. The rest is history, and Jack is no longer with us. But seriously, a seemingly small issue, a warning ignored, and the result was devastating. Some 2,000 years ago, with the people that were most near and dear to him, the disciples of Jesus Christ, after two full years of miracles and teachings, Jesus offers a strong and sobering warning about two ways of thinking. Two ways of life that are sneaky and small and could creep into the disciples' way of thinking and compromise everything about his teachings. How are you with warnings do you think you would have been able to heed the warning given to the captain of the Titanic, heed the warnings given to NASA, and more importantly, heed the warning given this morning by Jesus? You know, we miss warnings for a lot of reasons, don't we? We could think of many warnings that we had been given that we'd ignored, maybe some that we had been given that we listened to. But I wonder why it is that we don't like warnings. Perhaps we could boil it down to the fact that we miss warnings because we see and hear warnings through the grid of our preoccupations. So, in essence, saying we only hear what we want to hear. We can hear warnings about our parenting, about our jobs, about greed, about relationships, about politics, about marriage, about our tongue. But we hear what we want to hear. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's fear. 
Can I invite all of us today to a heart of teachability and examination? Would you consider asking the Holy Spirit to come and allow you to see where your heart is? It might seem like Jesus' warnings are but a small issue to watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. But if not taken seriously, they could have devastating effects. So this morning, let's engage on what is Jesus' warning. We'll spend a few moments examining our hearts in light of the warning, and then talk about the remedy to avoid the danger. So the warning, the examination, and the remedy. Let's start with the warning. The leaven. Jesus warns them about the leaven. We have a tradition in our family on New Year's Eve that we gather together with some friends of mine, the friend I went to high school with, we're still friends with him and his wife and his daughter, and we gather, for the most part, every New Year's Eve, and there's a tradition where we eat agavino spaghetti for dinner, and then we have something called zepalas for dessert. And zepalas are basically Italian donuts. They're spectacular, and they're super easy to make. It's basically just flour and water and egg, and the most important ingredient of it all is the yeast. The yeast. In Scripture, sometimes the word leaven is used in the same way. They're parallel. If you want to get super nitty-gritty about the science of it, yes, there is a little bit of difference between yeast and leaven, but for our purposes, it's okay to see them as synonymous. So yeast, you put it in these zeplas, and what it makes that flour and water and egg do is actually double in size, and voila, amazingness. Throw them in a deep fryer, and you're having a great New Year's. Jesus offers a warning to his disciples about yeast or leaven. This entire passage is actually about bread. Everything we're looking at here from verse 1 to 21 is about bread bread. And Jesus is with his disciples, the people he cares most about, and he says, watch out, beware. He warns them about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So first, let's ask the question, why the metaphor of leaven? Why is Jesus using this word? So leaven, literally, or yeast, is a living cell. And what it does is, it I learned this from the Googles, you'll know, that basically what it does is yeast, it, it, it's a living organism that digests the sugar in dough. And by digesting the sugar, it breaks down the sugar into two things, alcohol and carbon dioxide. The alcohol evaporates, and then the carbon dioxide gets stuck in the bread or the yeast, and it rises and causes it to expand. And so Jesus is using this picture here, I would say for many reasons, I want to point out three. Three things Jesus uses this metaphor of leaven to say. First is this. Leaven is unseen. You don't see it. It's in something, but it's not something that you're aware is there. The second thing is that it spreads rapidly. It spreads rapidly. It's very quick in its way that it moves. And third, it changes the essence it causes that bread to double in size and makes it taste 
delicious. So he's using the metaphor of leaven because it's sneaky, it's fast, and it changes everything. So what is it? What is the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod? Well, these two concepts or ideas represent two different ways of living. Two different ways of living. First, the Pharisees, and then we'll talk about Herod. The Pharisees, their way of living was the way of legalism, following the rules, being better than other people. And the primary language that a Pharisee, the way of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees thinks, is this idea of, I'm too good for grace. I'm too good to receive something. It's this understanding that I've got it together, I'm, I'm, I'm fully aware of what my needs are, and I, I don't need anything else because I'm, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. The way of Herod is quite opposite. The way of Herod is the way of licentiousness. Everyone say that word, licentiousness. It's not really that complicated. It just sounds cool to say it. It means license. It means to live with license. So you have legalism, which is one extreme. Licentiousness, or living with license, is the other. And that's the pursuing what I want, what makes me happy. It means I don't need grace. We have these two extremes, if you will. I'm too good for grace, and I don't need grace. And although they're two very different ways of thinking, there's something that actually ties them together. Both of them worship the self. Both of them are built in and fundamentally about me. And so Jesus is bringing a warning to the disciples and he's saying, beware of the worship of self over and against the worship of him or Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. <laughs> What's interesting about this passage is Jesus gets on the boat. They're worried about bread, and Jesus says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Herod, and then the disciples, like, just totally miss the point. They just go right back into worrying about the bread. They're totally clueless, and, and Jesus is actually bringing a compassionate confrontation to them. I, I wonder, how do you think Jesus wanted them to respond? Think about that just for a second. How do you think when Jesus makes this statement, this warning call, this beware call, how do you think Jesus was hoping that they would respond? I, I don't really know the answer to that question. I thought about it a lot this week. Maybe it goes back to the warnings of NASA and the Titanic that Jesus was hoping there would be some sense of humility and teachability. Tell us more about what you mean, Jesus. Help us understand how we could go astray. You see, what's really interesting here is it seems like these are two opposite ways of thinking. And what happens for us when we start thinking about living with legalism or le living with license, legalism versus licentiousness, this dichotomy, it can make us think that moving in the opposite direction is what we need to do. 
that when we think about, well, I'm following the rules and rules really matter to me, we think, oh, you know what, I need to move a little bit more and more towards license. But can we talk about how that is really not a good way to think about these things? Because in essence, what you're saying is, ooh, I'm too legalistic, I need to sin more. <laughs> or you're saying, ooh, I live with too much license, I need to be more legalistic. And we see that this spectrum, it's not really a spectrum that Jesus is warning them about. Both are about the self, and Jesus is saying it doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum, and frankly, we all flip back and forth. Both are leaven. They're dangerous. If we start to think this way, they could really change the essence of what Jesus is inviting to us to. Jesus is saying, no, I want you to live a completely, totally different way of life. A way of life that believes in me. A way of life that looks at and sees what happened in this miracle of feeding the 4,000 that shows you something about who he is that would make you long and want him and him alone. A way of life that believes. A way of life that sees him as savior. A way of life that looks to him as the one you trust. And I would ask you this morning, are you living that way? Or is the leaven of the Pharisees or the leaven of Herod in your life? If I can get practical just for a moment, you know, we don't actually have Pharisees and Herodians in our world, literally. But these philosophies are here. That way of thinking is here. And I would ask you, are you able to discern it? Are you able to hear the warning of Jesus to say, there is a lot of thinking out there that is like leaven, and if you start to let it in, this leaven in, it will drastically spread and change what it is that I'm asking you to do. Part of growing, and we use this word gospel fluency, that we believe the gospel is we start to speak the language of the gospel, which is the language of grace and freedom and love, this invitation to experience something because of the work of Christ that leads us not into kind of legalism or kind of licentiousness, but a completely different kind of way of life. And my question to all of us this morning is, are you able to discern when you're hearing the language and the voice of legalism and the language and the voice of licentiousness. In fact, I was thinking this week that for many of us, I would venture to say that we're probably prone to one more than the other. I find that in my own life, that, that I'm more prone to the licentious way of thinking that it, it makes me feel good, that I like the idea of not having rules. Some of you are probably more prone to the rules, prone to, to being on board with other people that like to tell other people how and what they're supposed to do. What are you more prone to? The things you listen to, watch, engage with, read, wherever it is that you're in conversation, are you able to discern the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod? The leaven of, I'm too good for grace, and the leaven of, I don't need grace. It's interesting, when the girls were younger, we used to watch a lot of Disney shows. 
and I love Disney shows. They're fun and engaging, and this is not a statement about Disney shows, but there was this pattern that I want to point out to you that we saw. In the kid-focused shows, they would often portray parents as stubborn, simple-minded, and wrong. You guys with me on this, right? Like, there's this thing, like, the kids are brilliant, and they have it all together. They're incredibly emotionally mature, and the parents are just clueless and idiots, right? So we would actually point this out to them. After the show, we would talk about it, and we would would engage with that. And the temptation is to do what in that? To go, hey, girls, no, no, no. Parents are awesome. We are perfect. We are brilliant. We do have it all together. So trust me. But do you see how the leaven of self-righteousness and the leaven of the Pharisees can so quickly come in there? Rather, the opportunity there was to say, you know, girls, the reality is we can all be stubborn. We can all be simple-minded and we can all be wrong. And what we need is a perfect, brilliant, gracious person to lead us to life. So I have a challenge for you this week to listen and discern. When you watch the news, listen to your podcasts, watch your TV shows, when you're engaging with people, listen for the leaven of rules that make us better and listen for the leaven where there should be no rules and hear the warning of Jesus. If you're able to discern the leaven, it will help us then believe and listen to the one who can truly satisfy. And maybe the warning to us is this. If we're not able to discern, maybe that leaven is growing in us. And the invitation is to come into community and ask and engage to see how the way of Jesus is so different. You see, what Jesus was worried about was, yes, the leaven of the Pharisees and, yes, the leaven of Herod. But he was worried about it influencing the disciples. This is what is probing about this passage. He's not just talking to the 4,000 that he fed on the side of the hill. He's talking to the most intimate people in his life the people that heard every single teaching that he gave, the people that were at almost every miracle that he had done. He's worried about it influencing them and friends, church. He's worried about it influencing us. So how do we know if it's influencing us? Well, we need to examine ourselves. And Jesus offers these incredibly convicting questions that he probes with the disciples. So let's talk about these questions. Jesus has just come off another incredible miracle where he'd fed 4,000 people. Jesus had fed, Mark tells us a few chapters ago, that Jesus had fed 5,000 people in, Ga- in, in Galilee and then showing his desire to reach the Jewish people. And now he feeds 4,000 people in the Gentile region, which is this amazing picture, something to unpack about how Jesus is showing that he's come for all, for Jew and Gentile. But now what's supposed to be the response after this miracle? What's always supposed to be the response after the miracle? 
The, always the response after any miracle is not to be, whoa, that was cool. The response after every miracle is supposed to be, whoa, Jesus, I worship you. And over and over and over again, we see how people miss the point of that, that he's longing for people to believe in him, that he's not just someone who performs miracles, but he is someone who can truly satisfy. And he wants his disciples to see that, but again, we see as they're in this boat, they've missed the point. You know, I, I kind of get a little bit where Jesus is coming from. Sometimes I'll be in the middle of a sermon and I try to illustrate things. So I'll tell a good story or something, you know, people will really laugh. And then what happens is after the end of the sermon, someone will come up to me and they'll be like, man, Brian, that story was so good. It was so funny. And I'm like, you know, well, really, I'm like, thank you, more, more, more. But then deep down, I, I'm like, wait, I, but did you get the point, right? Did you get the point of what I was trying to say? And please don't stop encouraging me on my stories. It's not what I'm talking about here. But, uh, but, the, but the question is, do we get the point of what the stories are for? The disciples had just saw something incredibly miraculous that Jesus had done, and they missed the point. They were, they were just kind of focused, even barely even focused, on what Jesus had done by providing all this food. And they had missed this idea and the invitation to worship him and see him as the creator and the savior and the almighty God. And because of this, Jesus is concerned that their way of thinking is going to morph into that of the Pharisees or that of Herod. So he asks them a bunch of questions, seven questions in Mark chapter 8, verses 17 to 21. He says, why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Question two. Are your hearts hardened? Question three. Having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full, full of broken pieces did you take? Twelve, they said. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take? Seven, they said. And then he says to them, do you not yet understand? Jesus is the ultimate math teacher. <laughs> he doesn't tell them the answer to the problem. He wants them to be able to work it out for themselves. Jesus is pointing to the evidence of what? To what we sang about this morning. To remember what he has done because that points to who he is. To, to look at his faithfulness and his goodness and, and to let that be a picture of who he is, to worship him, to want Jesus above all things, to put our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus is pointing to the evidence and with compassion inviting them to draw this conclusion. Three questions perhaps we can use from these that he has. I summed it up in this way. I think there are a myriad of ways you could sum it up. The way we should examine our own hearts is, do we understand Jesus' mission? Do we want to understand? So Jesus starts, right, he, he, he's saying, he asks them these questions. Do, do you guys see, are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you perceive or understand? He, he's inviting them into this idea like, what is my mission? What am I here to do? I'm not here to just feed people. You're missing the point. I'm here to save the world. And then he asks another probing question. Are your hearts hardened? 
You know, it's, I would venture to say that for a lot of us in this room, we could, I could ask you, what is Jesus' mission? And, and we would all be able to verbalize a lot of the things about what Jesus has done and what he's come to do. But, but then we have this really important question of, do we want to understand his mission? Do we want to believe in who he is? Do we want to put our faith in what he's accomplished? And then we have to ask, do we understand what Jesus has done? Can we remember? Can we look back? That, that really the pattern that I'm inviting to you this morning to is this, right? Is that there's this examination that should happen in our lives that we should be aware and concerned and humble enough to say to Jesus, Jesus, show me where the leaven of the Pharisees or the leaven of Herod may have sunk into my life. And then there's this way that we would come to him and say, I long to truly worship you and you alone. So I want to remember your faithfulness. I want to remember your goodness. I want to remember what you've done so that I can put my faith in you. We don't like to examine our lives. I don't. But I would ask you, would you this week, would you consider hearing the warnings of Jesus? Which leads us to one more question. Well, why? <laughs> why should I? Why should I trust Jesus? What's interesting is that for Jesus, in all of this, his compassionate confrontation is because he wants what's best for the disciples and he wants what's best for us. He's come to give us life and he's come to truly satisfy us. As simple as it may sound, the remedy to the warning is him. We heard it in the middle of the feeding. It was literal and supposed to be a metaphor. In verse 8, after Jesus had fed the 4,000, Mark declares, and they were, ate and were satisfied. That word satisfied literally means to be filled to the full. What Jesus wants for the disciples and for you and me is not to see it's the miracles that we need, but that rather we need the miracle worker. It's not the crusty bread that we need, but rather the living bread. It's not the provision we need. It's the provider himself. It's not compassion we need, but rather the one who truly is compassionate. And that's what Jesus wants his disciples to understand, and it's what he wants us to understand, and it's what Mark is trying to show us. And so today, let's do what Jesus asks us to do, to remember, to remember who he is. Because what would help us heed the warning is to see the beautiful Savior before us. And to, to understand, and, and not just no, but to actually receive and believe in what Jesus is offering you and I, and that is to be satisfied, to have our full, and to find that in truly believing and putting our faith in him. And how does Mark show that to us? Well, he does the same thing that he did 
when Jesus fed the 5,000. And I'm actually going to spend the next three minutes saying exactly the same thing that I said at the end of the feeding of the 5,000. Because it's incredible what Mark is trying to help us do here. And I'll show you, again, the same four verbs that Jesus uses, Mark uses here, to describe what Jesus has done that he used in the feeding of the 5,000. Listen for the four verbs here in verse 6. When Jesus is feeding them, it says, it says what? And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. Four simple verbs that show us and explain everything about why you and I should turn to Jesus to be satisfied in him. Because something really powerful happens at the end of Mark. In chapter 14, verse 22, listen to what Mark says. As they're sitting at the table and Mark is unveiling and explaining this meal that we practice almost every week here at the summit called communion. And as they were eating, Mark now points to say, it's not just bread that Jesus wants to give. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a provider. He's not just someone who can solve all your problems. This is the king of kings, the one who is worthy of belief, the one who we should put all of our trust in, the true living bread. He uses the same four verbs in verse 22. He says, and as they were eating, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And I would offer to you this, church, that what Mark is saying to all of us this morning is the reason why you should put your faith in Jesus and, and, not, and beware of the laws of legalism and beware of the fake freedom of licentiousness. He's saying, come now and eat and be filled and be satisfied in the one who took your sin, prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them was broken for you and then gave his life to you. I wonder if just in the craziness of this moment, you would do those four actions with me. As weird as this may feel to press into this, I want to show you one more time and then you can do it if you want with me. But what Mark is saying is that Jesus took our sin, said, Father, forgive them, was broken for us, and then gave his life to you. Would you do that one more time with me? He took it. He said, Father, forgive them. He was broken, and then he gave that to you. My friends, Jesus is saying, I give you compassion because I am compassion. I give you provision because I am the provider. I give you bread because I am the living bread. And it's not living by the rules that will give you what you want. And it's not living without rules that will give you what you want. It's giving both of those up and trusting in him as the living bread, the true provider, the compassionate one, and the Savior of the world. So church, I ask you, and I ask me, do you not yet understand? Give him your life. 
Resist the leaven of the Pharisees and resist the leaven of Herod. And come and be satisfied because he took your sins. He prayed, Father, forgive them. He was broken for you. And now he gives that to you in return. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we now come to the table this morning, we come with humility because if Jesus were to offer this warning, it must be something dangerous. But Father, we're thankful that he knew that we would mess up. He knew that we would be susceptible to wrong thinking. And so we're thankful that even in the midst of our messed up thinking, you invite us to the table today. And it's actually in the midst of that that you invite us. That really, probably what Jesus wanted from the disciples was just a humility and a teachability that would say, help us, help us. So that's how we come this morning. We come to receive because Jesus took upon himself what we could never bear, prayed for us in that, was broken for us, and now gives us so that we could feast. May you grow our faith in him today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.